Well, good morning. You guys remember what I look like? I haven't been here in a while. It's been, it's been a long time. It's been almost a month, which seems really weird. Uh, I was on vacation, and then I caught COVID, and last week you saw me on the video, which maybe I look better on video than in person. But uh, yeah, it's great to be back with you guys. We missed you. I, I was thinking about it as, uh, as I was getting to come back, and I don't know if you, I've had jobs like this, not this one, but where you don't want to go back. You're like, I, you get back from vacation, you're like, can I just go back? Like, I don't want to go back to that. Don't feel that way at all about being here. And so we miss you guys. We're, we're happy to be back. Um, and I am not sick. Somebody came up and checked my head earlier and made sure that I didn't have a fever and all that stuff. So great to be back with you and great to be able to dig in um, to week five of Summer Love. And so we've been traveling through this idea of understanding what it is to love. And so when we think about God is love, like that's a very deep statement to make. And then Paul spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 13 evaluating what that means and, and telling us how to do that. And what does that actually, how does that actually translate to life, right? How, what are all the different aspects of love and how we do that? And so we've been digging into that and kind of helping us understand and process if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to look like him, what does that actually mean for me to love that way? And so we've taken each snippet, right? So let me just go to the verse, uh, verses 4 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 13, right? It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And then today we're going to talk about rude. And then we're going to continue down the line, right? It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. So you kind of see there where we've been, and then you're going to see where we're going. If you missed a week, you can always go back uh, on YouTube and watch, or you can go and listen to wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and you can and you can process there. So today, right? Love is not rude. Now that's an interesting word. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word rude. This is what comes to mind for me, Megan. You can go ahead and put the next picture up there. That's what comes to my mind when I think about Rude. And so I also knew a guy with the last name Rude one time. I haven't seen him in a long time. But I, as a 90s kid, right, we watched Full House. This is what we did. And so we, you know, TGIF would be on and we'd watch that. And Stephanie would, in, you know, undoubtedly something she would just look at and go, how rude, right? That's what she would always say. And so that's what I would think about. And I don't know if my kids have caught on to that yet. We've watched Full House with them a few times. Um, I don't know if they've caught that yet. But that's always what I think about. And, and depending on who you are and where you've been in life, your definition of rudeness could be different. Um, Becca and I had conversations about this early in our marriage. Like she would be like, that's rude. And I'm like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. I was probably wrong. You were probably right. But like your scope of what is rude or not rude could be different depending on who you are. And so maybe your mom taught you certain things were rude growing up. Was anybody taught that like elbows on the table was rude growing up? Okay, a handful. I never understood why my elbows affected your life so much and why they were on the table or, or whatever. Um, we knew a girl in youth group years ago who would do this thing called cotillion. Have you ever heard of this? Okay, so cotillion, I didn't know what it was either until she told me. But she was, it was like where you go and you learn manners. And so you, they would go and they would have these classes and they'd have to sit the right way and they'd have to dress the right way. And then it would culminate in this dinner where you were supposed to show that you knew all the ways of not being rude. Now that girl, even at the time, was like, are you sure you take this class? Like, I think her parents sent her there for a reason. And so she would, but she would tell us about it. And I would be like, this is a lot of rules. And she would, I don't think she liked it, but 
it was this, all this teaching about what was rude and not rude. And so depending on who you are, right, you might think certain things are rude or certain things um, are not rude. And then there's an element of rudeness that can be more intentional, right? Like putting your elbows on the table or something like that. You can do that by accident. You could be like, oh, no, I, I can't believe I did that. But if you want to, you can actually express a lot of rudeness to other people, right? If, if, and it can come out like maybe if someone's having a conversation with you and you're like, I just don't want to have this conversation. Like you might do something that's rude just because you're trying to get out of the conversation or you're trying to do something different, right? There's an element where we might actually intentionally do something. And so as I understood, like, and thinking about this, you know, rudeness can be understood kind of on a certain scale. I decided to look up the word. So I just Googled definition of the word rude. Here's what came up. Offensively impolite or ill-mannered. So you're so impolite or ill-mannered that it's offensive to somebody else. So there's a, there might be a directive there where you're trying to be impolite, uh, or it could just be by accident. And then I did something that I don't usually do, but I actually went to the Greek word. And, and I wanted to see, okay, when Paul is saying this, when he's bringing this up, what, what's in his mind as to what rudeness is? And so I'm terrible at reading Greek, but this is what it is in English, askemoneo, okay? And it says to act improperly or behave unbecomingly or even dishonorably. So really the word that would probably pop into when we see love is not rude, the word that would actually probably pop in there is love is, does not act unbecomingly, which doesn't necessarily help us, but it's this idea of not doing something that's dishonorable, not doing something that you would look, someone else would look at you and go, oh, that's not good. Like, why are you doing that? What is, what is that that you're doing? And so as we understand that, we can kind of dig into, okay, what does this actually mean and how do we understand what it means to be rude in our culture and what is this doing as we think about how we tie this together with love? And here's what I think is true um, in our culture. I think that Im- impolite has become normal. Impolite in some ways has become normal. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look back, you go back, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, you look the way that we act today, there are certain things that would not happen years and years ago or we would look at and we would say, we would never do that in public. And yet today, some of those things happen. I'll give you an example. Last weekend, uh, I saw two different highlights from two different sporting events, two different teams, two diff- completely different games, different places in the country. And at the end of both of those games, one player left the field with both fists raised to the crowd, but there was one finger sticking up on both sides. So, so that, was, that was, again, two different athletes, different game, different parts of the country, and that's the way they walked off the field. As I processed that, I went, first of all, that's strange to me that that's just kind of like, that's what we do. Here's the other thing. On TV, you could see it. I remember a time where they probably would have blurred that out, and you wouldn't have been able to see what they were doing. So when I was a kid, I would have just seen, I would have been like, I don't know what their fists are doing. There's fuzzy there, right? I don't understand. But like if my son was watching, he would have seen what was going on. Now, that's seen as just that happened, right? It just did, and it it just happens. People take pictures that way. So there are things that have become normal that we would have seen as impolite, and the scale on that has moved a little bit. I also think that dishonorable or acting dishonorably has become the response to not getting our way. And so when we don't get something we want, we respond in a way sometimes that is dishonorable. I'll give you another example of this. 
Um, I know when I take my son to a ball game or whatever game we're going to go to, right, and the ref does something wrong or somebody makes a bad play, I understand the fact that I may have to, like, give him earmuffs or, like, explain to him what's being said or say, we don't say those things, right? I know that when I step into that place, that's probably, that could happen. It might not, but it could. But what happened to us when we were, like, two weeks ago, we're in the Disney parking lot, and somebody got mad at the, at the attendance and starts just yelling swear words. And Becca literally went, uh, there's children around. I don't think they could hear you, but I remember you saying that. And it's like, we're in the Disney World parking lot. I didn't think I had to worry about like just yelling profanity because you're mad about where somebody parked you. And, and the goal of that person was, I want all of the people to know that's in this area, I'm mad. And I'm not happy about what that person did. And that person's a jerk or that person's whatever word they used. And so they acted dishonorably because they wanted to show that they were not happy getting their own way. And so some of this, as we understand what it means to be rude or impolite or dishonorable, has become normal. And what's easy to happen sometimes is when the culture sees it as normal, Christians can see it as normal too. It's easy for that to happen. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's good for just culture to shift a little bit and for us to become more aware of some things than others. But when we think about how we're responding to people, we want to go back to verses like this and say, what does it mean to actually love someone and not in a rude way? And so I want to go to a passage today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 6. Um, and this is a famous passage. By the way, I think we mentioned it earlier, but if you want to follow along with everything, you can just go to our website, click the follow along, or if you take uh, your card here and scan the little QR code on the back, uh, you'll get all the verses, all the notes, everything there. You can email it to yourself. You can ask a question, submit a prayer request, whatever you would like to do. But in Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 27, and we're going to read down to verse 31. Sorry, verse 27 is where we're going to start. So Luke 6, verse 27 says this, But to you who are willing to listen, now I think that's an important start. To you who are willing to listen, that implies a couple of things to me. First of all, Jesus knows that when he's teaching, some people aren't going to listen. I've been a teacher. I know that too, right? So like you get up in front of people, and whether it's students or whatever, there's some people going, not going to listen. Here's what I think is also true of that we have to recognize that there are going to be people who don't see this as true. And so when that happens, when they don't listen, it's not our job to listen for them. It's our job to listen for us. And so some people we're going to look at and go, well, they just act rudely. They're terrible. They did this, whatever, right? The, the goal is not necessarily for us to just say, well, they're rude, not me. The goal is for us to be the example. And so if we're followers of Jesus, we want to look at this and say, when Jesus says, but you who are willing to listen, we want to include ourselves in that group and say, I'm going to be one of the ones that's willing to listen, and I'm going to be one of the ones who lives this out. So we keep going in verse 27, it says, but, you who are, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now stop right there, like, we could just talk about that for an hour. But he says, do good to those who hate you. Yeah, but Jesus, like, but they hate me. They don't deserve to have good done to them. He's like, yeah, but just let me keep going, right? I'll make it even better for you. So verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Verse 29, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek as well. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. This one's weird, right? 
like, Jesus, first of all, I don't want to get slapped on the other side if I just got slapped on the first one. And I don't want, they can take my coat. I don't want to give them my shirt, right? Why, why am I going above and beyond to be the person in this moment who is better than the other one? Why am I responding not in kind to what they're doing or even in a neutral way to what they're doing? Why do I have to be the one who steps in and says, I'm going to be the better person or the bigger person? Verse 30 says, give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. This is very interesting. When things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Now, we can think about that in a tangible way, right? So someone borrows something from you, and you, they don't give it back, right? You've got to decide, like, how am I going to take this verse? Am I going to go knocking on their door, or am I just going to say, okay, they can keep it till they give it back, right? But you can also think about it in a non-literal sense. Someone could take something from you like your dignity. Someone could take something from you like your relationship. Someone could take something from you that you wish was, and what we can be tempted to do is to continue to think about that and try to get it back. And what happens when we do that is we continue to kind of like live in the past and try and regain something that might be already gone. And what we know, at least I think is true in, in our right minds, we would say we don't want to live in the past. We don't want to expect that back, right? And, and Jesus says, listen, when somebody takes something, do not be so consumed with just trying to get it back to let it go and be okay with that. In verse 31, he just says this, right? Do to others as you would like them to do to you. This is a very difficult passage because Jesus isn't talking about accidental things, right? He's not talking about elbows on the table by accident. He's talking about someone directly on purpose being a jerk to you, hitting you, taking your stuff, and he says, don't, just turn the other cheek. He says, just be a blessing to them. Give them what they want and just let it go. And for some of us in our minds, we go, that means I'm a doormat. Hang on, we'll come back to that. But Jesus says, don't be the kind of person who needs to respond in the same way to how you are treated. And the way that our culture, the world around us, most people, and maybe us at times, the way that we would maybe want to respond to this is to act dishonorably, is to be rude, is to show that person that I'm not okay with what you just did. But here's the thing, right? Dishonor, when we, when we go there, aims to remove dignity and honorability. Dishonor aims to remove Dignity and honorability. What does that mean? It means when someone's mean to us, and maybe we've been here, I've been here, someone's mean to us or someone does something against us, what we would like to do is make sure that that person's credibility gets hurt because of it. So if it's someone that was a boss of yours and they fired you for the wrong reason, you would love to go have a conversation with somebody else and tell them about that. If it was a, a cop that pulled you over and you felt like that wasn't just, or they gave you a ticket and you weren't doing the thing, you might go to your friend and, and be like, that's a terrible person. Or you might call their supervisor and, and say something. Or if you're customer service, right, and they're not treating you right, and you want to go to the next person, you want to go to the supervisor, and you want to say, like, I can't believe how bad this was. Our goal sometimes in those moments can be to remove dignity and honorability from that person. You want them to feel some of the pain that you felt. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not what we're called to do. When someone even intentionally comes against us, that's not what we're called to do. And here's what Jesus did, right? Jesus restored dignity 
to even those who didn't deserve it. Jesus restored dignity to even those who didn't deserve it. This drove the Pharisees just mad. They hated it. Because Jesus would show up to these people who had kind of removed themselves from the honor of their society. So when you think about it, um, Israel was a very religious culture, right? Their religion was just weaved into everything that they did. And so when you stepped into the space of you're going to be a prostitute or you're going to be a tax collector or you're going to cross that line, what automatically happened was you just kind of moved yourself into the corner and no one wanted anything to do with you. You've removed yourself from dignity. You've removed yourself from being uh, included in the part of culture that was seen as good and honorable. And if people associated with you, then they were seen as dishonorable as well. And yet what happens, and I've read this verse before, we've talked about it, but in Matthew 9, 11, it just says this, right? But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I love that word scum. It's like, it just drives it home. Why? I know exactly how the Pharisees felt about those people. They hated them. They want nothing to do. He says, why, why does he eat with them? Here's the question they were asking in just a different way. Why does he honor the dishonorable? Why does he, as someone who is honorable in the culture, even if they didn't like him, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he was someone that was elevated in the culture. Why is he honoring the dishonorable? Why is he responding to them in this way? It's because when he teaches what love is, he says, we don't respond Rudely, we don't respond dishonorably. We respond in a way that says, I'm going to give that person dignity. And I think this is true, right? Love always dignifies and honors. Um, One of the ways that I've understood this over time, and maybe you've seen this too, is someone who just kind of has refrigerator rights at your house. Like they come over and it's just like, hey, like they're part of the family. I had friends like this growing up where I would just say, hey, uh, this friend is coming over. I didn't even ask. Like once I got to high school, it was like there was just a few friends. And I just go, hey, uh, Mike's coming over. My mom and dad were like, great, Mike's coming over. Like it wasn't even like a thing. He was just allowed to come. And if it was, if he was there and he wanted to drink, he could just go to the refrigerator. If he was there and it was going to be dinner time, there was always a seat for him. And it was the same way when I would go to their house. You just always felt like you were at home, even though you weren't. Because they always had a seat for you. They always had a place. They always wanted you to be there. They always cared about you. They always wanted you to be a part of their family. And maybe your kids have friends like that now, or maybe you've got friends who are also adults, and it's just like, that's the relationship you have. You just know that you are included with them. That's what love means, and that's what dignifies and honors means. Because when we're in that place and there's always a space for us, there's always, a, there's always a seat for us, there's always a plate, there's always a refrigerator that we can go to, it just makes us feel like we are cared for and loved and that this group of people believes that I am worthy of some honor and dignity. And in that place, we feel at peace. You don't feel out of place there. We've all been in spaces where we feel out of place. It doesn't feel right. If I had to go to a cotillion class, I would feel way out of place, Right? not comfortable, different when I'm at my friend's house, different when they know me and I know them. And that's what love does. It doesn't respond necessarily in kind with 
the frustration that we might feel, but it dignifies and honors other people. And so rude people, let's just break this down, right? What do rude people do? What do people do that love? What are the differences that we see as we contrast these two different ideas? Rude people, I would say, first of all, uh, they need the final word. And as a kid, I remember this being like, if you were in a fight with somebody, and you'd be like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. And you'd go, no, I didn't. Right? You try and like sneak it in so that you got the last word, but like they didn't know it, but you felt good because you got the last thing to say, right? And there's adults like that. Like they're not going to whisper it, but like they have to have the last post on the thread or they have to have the last say or they have to have the last word. And, and so when we do that, we perpetuate the frustration right? It continues to go down this path of, I'm angry, I'm upset, I don't like this, and it's frustrating. And so if, if we're being honest, that's a piece of being rude. Just needing to have the final word, even though we're supposed to be caring for and loving the other person. Uh, the second thing is they always have to fire back. They always have to respond in kind. They always have to make sure that if you said something to me, I'm going to say something back. If you did something to me, I'm going to do something back, right? There's, I'm not going to be silent about this. And so they would never be in the space of someone says something to them and they go, well, that's unfortunate that you feel that way. And they just walk away. They don't know how to. They have to fire back. They have to make sure that somebody knows how they feel. And then the third thing I would say is that they need to make sure that you know how unhappy they are. And I've seen some of this uh, for sure, even when uh, just seeing different um, protests and things around on the news, right? One side or the other will be there representing their side, and then someone from the other side just comes up and just screams at them, right? They're not even saying words. They're just like yelling and screaming. And we see this on TV because it gets views, and if you're watching or you're passing by the TV and someone's just screaming, like you're gonna look. Like it, it just happens. And so we just have this need to, like if we don't even know how to respond or what to say, I'm just going to make sure that you know that I'm unhappy and that makes me feel better, that you know how angry I am. And when we look at this list, and and we could put more on this, obviously, this isn't an exhaustive list, but when you look at this, I I just want us to think about when you look at these three things, how that existence feels, that we have to fire back, we have to have the final word, I need other people just to know how unhappy I am. When that's our focus and that's what we want to do or how we want to be, it's not a very fulfilling existence. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, like if you're listening along or you're in the room, like take Jesus out of the equation. If this is the type of person you are, whether whatever Jesus says about it or Paul says about it, forget it. This still doesn't seem very fulfilling to me. This seems fairly miserable to be focused on these things and to say that this is the the way that I want to act or the way that I'm going to live my life. So let's flip it. Let's say, what about someone who's decided to love and to not be rude? I would say, first of all, someone who loves uh, gives the benefit of the doubt. I remember as a kid, um, whenever someone would do something to me at school or if I was frustrated with what a teacher did or something like that, um, I would come home And I'd go, Mom, Dad, you wouldn't believe what happened today. I can't believe my friend treated me this way, or I can't believe this teacher did that, blah, 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 blah. And I knew what my parents were going to say. My parents were going to say, well, they probably didn't mean it the way that you thought. Or they probably didn't mean to say it that way. Or they probably didn't mean to make you feel that way. And I hated that. Because I wanted my parents on my side. Right? I'm like, can you just like fight somebody for once for me? Like, and it ha- I'll tell you a story one, another day. It happened one time. 
where a teacher did something and my parents showed up at school and they were not happy. I'll tell it another time. But usually this is where they would go. And they would teach me to give the benefit of the doubt. They would teach me to go to the space of not to get riled up and not to get defensive and not to want to fire back, but to say maybe they just had a bad day. Maybe they accidentally said that. Maybe they accidentally did that. Maybe they didn't realize how that would make you feel. And it made me process and kind of feel like, okay, like I should just allow that person to have the benefit of the doubt. And today now what gets me is the opposite. When I see parents or I see adults or I see people that, you know, somebody comes to them and says, this person did this, and they go, wow, you really should do this back. Or wow, you should just stay away from them. They don't, you know, you just like, there's a response of contention. Now, sometimes people are mean to you, give them space, right? Like, don't go back there. Don't be that person. But how we feel about them and how we're going to respond to them can be different. And so we give the benefit of the doubt. The second thing I would say, someone who loves, uh, they don't retaliate. They're not the ones that always have to have the last word. They're not the ones who always have to fire back. They're the ones who would say, you know what? That person has a problem. And maybe it's not partly your problem. Maybe it's theirs. And so you just say, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to be the one who perpetuates this. And then I would say this, that they, and I think this is what Jesus models, they honor even the dishonorable. Now, here's what I'm not saying, right? I'm not saying honor dishonorable behavior. So I'm not saying honor the two athletes who stuck their fingers up in the air as they walked off the field. Okay, that's not what we're saying. What I am saying is, at times, what Jesus teaches us is even the people who have not acted in an honorable way still deserve for us to honor them as people. And this can be very difficult because it can be, we can see how the, someone who disagrees with us or someone who's angry at us or frustrated with us, they respond to us, they treat us poorly, and we don't want to honor them. That makes complete sense. But at the same time, Jesus did honor those people. Even the Pharisees at times he honored. And so here's what I think happens when we do teach them, when we do respond this way, and when we do honor even the dishonorable. When we treat each person with dignity, we reveal to them the way God sees them. Because Jesus did see them worth dying for. Jesus did see them worth creating. Jesus did see them worth loving. Jesus did see them in all of those ways. And so when we fire back and we're jerks to them, we're responding with how we feel about them. When we honor them, even when they don't deserve it, we're seeing how God treats them, not us. And when they see that, that can change who they are. I mentioned a little bit earlier, I said, you know, as we talk about this, the way that my brain works, maybe the way your brain works is we go, okay, great. If I do all this, I'm a doormat. People are just going to run over me. I'm not going to be able to defend myself. I'm going to end up in bad relationships. What do I do with that? I want to give you uh, an example. And uh, there's a man named Adam Grant. Adam Grant is a professor. He's an author. Uh, he's a teacher. He's a podcaster. Um, very smart guy. Uh, don't think he's a follower of Jesus, but I've heard him in conversations with other followers of Jesus, and I think he's like this close. He, he's, he's spiritually questioning things, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking hopefully one day he decides to take that step. But just a very smart man. And he has processed uh, as thinking about different groups of people and, and where we fit and how we process things. And he says there's three different groups of people. He says there are takers, there are matchers, and there are givers. And so when you think about that, here's what a taker is. A taker is always focused on you. 
always focused on, right? I want to get the next level. I want to get the next uh, best car. I want to get the next promotion. I want to be better than that. And so they just continue to focus on themselves and they say, I want to move myself forward. Okay. A matcher is someone in the middle. A matcher tries to do both. So they think about themselves and they think about others equally. That's what they try and do. They try and even that out. Okay. And then there are givers. And Adam says, givers are always focused on other people. They want to see other people move forward. They want to see other people do well. They will sacrifice their own things so that others can have a better life. And so he says, usually we fall into one of those three categories. And so the question is, right, you've heard the phrase like nice guys finish last, right? So if I'm nice all the time or if I'm a giver all the time, how successful am I going to be? And he says, statistically, it's more likely that a giver is unsuccessful, it's actually also more statistically likely that a giver will be successful. The givers take up the both, both ends of the spectrum. And in the middle, you find takers and matchers. Now, why is that? He says it's because when you are a giver, you're going to be taken advantage of. People are going to run over you. They're going to take what you offer charitably, and they're going to run with it, and it's not going to have any benefit to you. So you're going to finish last sometimes. But he says it's also going to, in those moments, it's going to teach you and it's going to build relationships with other people and that's going to catapult you to the front. Again, not a Christian, but he, as he studied sociology and understanding this, he says people who honor other people first, yes, they're going to find themselves in last place sometimes, but he says ultimately it's going to move you forward. And when you think about that, you think about the people in the room who you might you might, as you think about this, label as a taker. They might be the most powerful person in the room. They might be the most domineering person in the room. And probably, if that's the case, they probably have the least amount of friendships in the room. But when you build relationships with people and you are a giver and you're honoring other people, you're going to be more successful, and not just in life, but in many different things. And so I think there's a tie in there when we look at Scripture and Jesus says, be the giver, Honor other people even when they are dishonorable to you. That's being a giver. And when we look at that, even from a non-biblical perspective, we can see that that might be true in the world around us. And so the question is this, that we've come back to over and over again, right? What does love require of me? When we get into those difficult situations, those difficult places where love is difficult to understand, what's the best? We say, what does love require of me? Here's what I think, if we're going to love and not be rude. Here's, the, here's two things I think we can walk away with and just say, this is what love requires of me. I think we need to be ready to lose sometimes. Sometimes people are going to take advantage of us. Sometimes we're going to do something nice and it's not going to register for anybody. Sometimes uh, people are just going to take advantage of how kind we are. And they're going to take that second slap on the cheek, right? They're going to keep swinging. And sometimes we have to be okay with losing. But... Jesus was too. And so we're going to say, okay, sometimes we have to be okay with losing. If Jesus was okay with losing, we should be as well. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't mean we want to. But if we trust what Jesus is teaching us, then eventually we're going to see good come from us deciding to be the ones who are going to honor the dishonorable and not be rude to others. And here's one that's difficult, right? In the most difficult conflict be the most honorable person. In the most difficult conflicts, be the most honorable person. So when someone comes to you and you're having it out with them, whoever it is, right? 
you want to be the person in the conversation who is the most honorable. Not the person who gets the last word. Not the person who, has to, who gets to fire back the most. Not the person who feels like the other person just knows how you feel, right? You want to walk away and be the most honorable person. Because ultimately, that means that you've loved them. The opposite of this is acting dishonorably, acting impolitely, deciding this is what we want to do. But when we are the most honorable person, that means we can repair that relationship. It means that that person is dignified and honored. It means that that person sees what it means when God cares about them through the way that we decide to live. I think that this conversation is one of the most difficult ones in this whole love conversation. Because our natural response is defense, right? Our natural response is, I'm angry, I'm going to tell them. Uh, They shouldn't treat me like that, and I'm going to make sure they know it. And there's a time and place for that. But there's a balance there that is difficult to find, where we have to say, I'm going to love them and honor them even though they don't deserve it. And it's going to feel like we're doing the wrong thing sometimes, probably. And we're going to lose sometimes. But on the other side, walking through it, Jesus is going to honor that. When we honor the people that he loves, Jesus is going to honor that. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like or how that's going to play out. But we have to trust him that he's in control of that. So build healthy relationships. If there's a relationship that you need to step away from and have some space, do that. But understand, I need to understand, that when we love and dignify other people, we're loving them the way that Jesus has called us to love them. Let's pray today. Lord, we are... This one's difficult. This one's hard. And it's not natural for us to, when someone is mean to us, says mean things, is intentionally rude to us, it is not natural for us to say, my job is to be a blessing in your life. Our natural thing is to either run or to respond in kind and say, I'm going to make sure you know how that made me feel that makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we did something right. But that's not what you teach us. And if you had responded that way, there's a lot of times where you could say, uh, you have denied me, you have acted against me, you have walked away from me, and you would have every right to respond dishonorably to us, and you don't. So guys, this is a tough topic to kind of figure out. I pray that you'd give us wisdom. That we would know when to respond, how to respond, what that means. But I pray ultimately that we would not be the people that always have to fire back, that always need the last word, and that always need other people to know how upset we are. But that we would give the benefit of the doubt. And we would honor even the dishonorable. We thank you that we can learn together and dig deep into what this means. And we pray ultimately that it would cause us to look